and welcome back or welcome to the On Coaching Podcast with Steve Magnus, that's me, um, head coach of the University of Houston cross country team, uh, joined by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus, director of High Performance West. And we have a very special guest, a good friend of ours, Mario Freoli, um of the Morning Shakeout, a fabulous podcast and newsletter that I definitely recommend you guys check out. Guys, welcome to the conversation. We're here, baby. This is On Coaching Hot Takes mini episode. Mario, Eric, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Airing of the grievances. As That's we right. We're going to give the people what they want. Off it's air. this for the IAAF decision that just came down the pipeline. Uh, all right. All right. So before we go into that, um, just laying it out in case you're not in the in the the depths of the track world a couple things happened recently in the olympics and iaaf uh track and field first is that the olympic qualification standards for the 2020 olympics changed um the automatic standards becoming much 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 more difficult um for example i think the women's marathon time dropped uh 15 16 minutes something like that um and half the field is determined by IAAF rankings, which we'll probably get into. And then the other part of it is that the Diamond League, there's a new format. And part of that, pertinent to our conversation, is that there are no races longer than 3,000 meters. So that sets the stage. Who wants to go first? Dude, we have to be gentlemen here. Mario is our guest he gets to air, air off his grievances first. Tee it up. Can I air one at a time? Or do I yeah, have to yeah, lay them no, all out at once? <laughs> um, tee it up, man. In no particular order, but I'm going to start here because I have it right in front of me. So before we got on the call, I was like, well, let me make an effort to better understand these IAAF world rankings. So I went to IAAF.org and found the world ranking site. You can find it. It's IAAF.org world dash ranking dash rules slash basics and i'll save you the trouble it's like it's like six very long pages um trying to explain how the rules of these world rankings work and i got to the bottom of the basics and i already had enough with it and i mean i'm pretty dialed into the sport i am interested in what's going on and how things work and it is so complex that if someone who is that dialed is turned off by the end of the first page, how is the average fan, or even the, the casual fan, we'll say, going to understand exactly how this world ranking system works? Because it, and it's important to know how it works because it's, it's important in, in deciding who's going to get to qualify for Olympic Games and World Championships. It carries a lot of weight, but it is not very straightforward. And that is my first grievance. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on that. We'll we'll stick with the rankings because I think this is um, pertinent. Um, so I'm a I'm a I'm a science nerd. Like I love stats, I love data, all this stuff. So I did much the same, Mario, and dug into it a little bit. And I think where we are at with this stuff is a lot of times now when we see data and analytics, like it's almost like this bright shiny star. It's like, ooh, look, that's some data algorithm that. Uh, spits out some number and it must be objective because the number is spit out but in this case like the number is highly flawed you know there is uh 
there's always this good saying among statisticians where they say, like, if you put in shit data, you get shit results, right? So the, the inputs matter. And if you delve into the details that Mario talked about, it's highly dependent on this uh, ranking system of meets, which seems, again, kind of arbitrary on how they they divided it up. There's 10 categories of meets, which you get bonus points on. And the higher level, you get more bonus points for the rankings, as best as I can understand it. And like once you get past the obvious, which is like Olympic Games and World Championships at the top... Um, the rest of it is is kind of arbitrary to degree. It's not really based on the competition at those meets. To give you, I guess, the best example is in the distance running world, the best non-Diamond League meet we have is the Oxy High Performance meet, right? It produces the best results uh, year in, year out of uh, any non-Diamond League American meet. It is ranked in terms of you know, importance or competition, 10 out of 10 on the list. The NCAA Indoor Champs is 9 out of 10 on the list. You can go to some random pretty good, you know, world challenge meet in Spain or Greece or wherever and get a meet that I think is like 3 or 4 out of 10 in terms of rankings and get much higher bonus points even if the competition is worse. And the the system is set up for track in almost the European world, but in America, we rely on the collegiate system and then these pop-up meets, um, so we don't have all these, like, world challenge, like, you know, uh, continental meets, all this other stuff. Like, we have, like, a Diamond League meet, or it's a collegiate meet, or it's, like, some meet that John Marcus put on, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's what it is so the system yeah. like the ranking system is biased i won't refute you guys on either of those points um you know i'm in the camp of it is we're in a new world order now and it's basically very transparent with either iwf is trying to do and they're trying to put the ball in their court to give them more of a streamlined um, competitive product in their eyes to say at these meets that we have prioritized based off of our algorithms, whatever those may be, we want to drive the best competition here. In the short term, what this does is sacrifice some fixtures on other continents like the Oxy High Performance Meet or the Distance Classic to say, okay, now this is going to become an anemic meet and no longer necessary because the whole spirit of all these pop-up meets or I prefer to call them boutique meets for the middle distance community that I've been putting on is just the need and the necessity for an opportunity for all the competitive people to get together and run fast. You know, someone criticized me on Twitter and rightfully so, you know, I always preach about competition. However, these meets that I put on are the means to the end of competition. The end being a championship meet and that's where we need to focus a lot of our energy. However, the system in place to get there has been qualified by a certain mark. And, now, making the standards tougher, I don't think that's that dumb. However, I think it's not an elegant solution just to arbitrarily pick a line in the sand and say, this is it. My question with the IWF is, why isn't the solution a little bit more elegant? If we have an elegant solution, then that informs us that these people thought really hard about it. And two, we turn over, hopefully, with an elegant solution, the authority or the privilege or the standard bearer to the athletes. You know, I was talking with Danny Mackey about this the other day, and he and I are of the same mind. I said, yeah, if I was in charge, 
I would just make it a system of, you know, from a ranking standpoint, kind of descending order as the um, NCA system is for the uh, regionals in track, right? Because the athletes essentially self-select. And that's been the USATF's model all along is the athletes self-select teams for uh, international competitions like World Cross. There's a tryout race. The Olympic trials is a trial race. The athletes self-select. Same thing in the NCAA world. Based on how fast you run during the season, you produce a mark, and that puts you in descending order category. And what you've noticed, the trend has been the marks are getting faster. Every year, we're getting faster, we're getting faster, we're getting faster. And you need to have, I think, it, 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 I would be remiss if we didn't uh, oblige the necessity of fast times, because fast times are very interesting and compelling now they shouldn't be every the, the whole storyline of any race they should be a, a very big part of it yes but we should also have a storyline of how does these head-to-head matchups um elevate the sport and elevate the participation of a fan base and also grow a fan base and i think that's the key question we have to ask is how does this um, system grow or does not grow a new fan base in complement to the existing fan base. And that's what I'd like to understand. And on a very fundamental level, when they announced this this world ranking system, I mean, the language in the release was, this is intended to create a more clear understanding for everyone. And I don't know one person who really understands it or who can explain it very in very simple terms how this thing works and how it's supposed to create excitement and how it's better than what's been used to this point the difficulty i think lies in the fact that it is essentially let's take the nba that's my big fan of wins and losses relative to everyone else who has the best win-loss record in the league after 82 games get you to the playoffs what this essentially does is says yeah wins and losses count but if you average over 120 points per game against uh the knicks instead of the um uh, the Pelicans, well, then that will make it so we elevate the the influence of that game over the other game. No, no, no. You can't do that, and that's what's happening. That's why it's so muddied, because there's, they're saying, well, it's this is important in terms of absolute fast ranking, you know, benchmark of time, but then they're also trying to say, this is important, too. Where right. you run it matters, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it seems like their intent or what they're trying to say is like, oh, we're going to make wins wins and losses matter like how you plays but i i don't think the the system does that very well like there's there's probably a dozen other systems that i could think of of like prioritizing like who beats who in a race on on a ranking scale um versus the the system that is here now and you know you look at it the other part of it is that makes it in, inherently unfair is that very select few people can get into diamond league meets right and the diamond league getting into a diamond league meet isn't based on your times or your rankings right it's based on what agent you have <laughs> and if the meet director likes you or likes the shoe sponsor you're working with or the the agent you have and that that is a problem they should have tackled before in implementing the system yeah the parity is lost and again i go back to like major league sports games we have regular seasons in america mlb nfl nba Everyone gets to play 16 football games. Everyone gets to play 82 NBA games. This is the equivalent of saying, well, we're going to take the highest number of wins, but half of you guys or three-quarter of these guys can only play 12 games, and everyone else can play 82. And then you're just like, well, 
even if I win all 12 games, I'm still not even guaranteed a spot because I just don't have the competitive opportunities. That's a messy um, reality that the IWF as a governing body is unfortunately ducking and not cleaning. We need to create something more elegant so there is an opportunity for parity. Yeah. All right. So we've we've ditched uh, dished on the the rankings a little bit and how again, I think we're we're three track geeks and going through it. I mean, it's, I I tried to go through it for the sake of my athletes and see what <laughs> see what meets are good and bad and what I came to the conclusion of is in America it's really hard. We better fly to Europe and find like these these boutique meets that are are ranked really high. Um so we've we've gone through that, right? Uh, what do we think of in terms of, or I'll air my second grievance, which is, yeah, go, which is the, uh, the, the um, increase in the Olympic standards to a very high degree, right? So what we've done now is we have a system that I think the IAAF originally wanted to have us qualifying in almost entirely by the rankings, but they got some backlash. So instead they said, all right, we're going to have standards that get us 50% of the field, and then we're going to select the other 50% of the field by these rankings. So they set the standards incredibly high. Um, I, I think that's a, a dumb move on a lot of parts because now you've set the standards so high that you need to set up in the distance races, ra- rabbited races that are distinctly for this standard, right? In the past, like, yeah, you'd have some rabbited races, but you didn't need it to be perfect, right? You could go down to Oxy and and have some guys who are capable of running 13.0s, run 1320, you know, on 1320 pace with, with a nice race at the end. Now you've got to set it up to be, like, damn near perfect uh, conditions and rabbiting, uh, to get there, so you're changing the uh, the emphasis there. But more importantly, I think in the U.S. is you're potentially k- killing the best part of our sport, which is the Olympic trials, in the sense that America, you come, you show up, you qualify for the trials, and a large proportion of people have a shot to go. Right, mm-hmm. you cross the line, top three, you get to go. I mean, not everyone has a standard, but in the past Olympic years, at least the recent ones, uh, several, a majority of the final in a lot of cases or a large proportion of it, of the contenders, like had a really good shot to, to get there, especially in the marathon. The marathon was everybody had a shot to get there, basically. Um, and you're, you're taking that away. Like, my question is, what, what happens at the, uh, the trials now? If uh, top three come in and one has the standard and then, you know, some guys who weren't in the top three don't, do we now have to wait until the IAAF releases their ranking system, their final ranking system, to see if our two, three guys uh, get in? Like, that ruins some of the magic of the trials. Mario, what do you think? I agree with Steve. I, I think it ruins the magic of the trials, but I also think, and this is thinking long term, it it kills the sport because the standards are so high and it's so hard to make a living in the sport anyway. I think it's going to discourage a lot of people from continuing with it because, you know, they might not be fast enough to qualify right out of school and they can't give it four years till the next cycle to, 
to see if they can get to that level and give themselves a shot to be on the Olympic team. So I, I mean, and maybe this is, you know, maybe this is an American problem because we have a trial system and there is opportunity for people to continue. But that's one of my biggest fears. In addition, to everything that Steve's already laid out. I, I diverged a little bit from this in that I understand and appreciate that interpretation, but I think it's a, to me, it's a signaling of it's time to get professional and level up. And what I mean by that is the old system is antiquated. It's outdated. We've we're basically been living in 1980, 1970 on repeat. This ideal that my college coach can train me, you know, part-time or I'll go back with my high school coach. It just doesn't make sense anymore because we have gone through the exploratory period of what good is. And if you read the history of track and field in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, they were exploring and creating benchmarks about what the standard of excellence was. And that's why we're like, oh my God, a guy broke four in the mile. This is insane. And now it's, you can't even break four in the mile and get to the NCAA championships. So you know, the currency about what the standard is, I think people will step up. I don't think it's that outrageous. Now, there might be people who shortchange the system and who dope to step up. And I think that's the majority of short-sighted and short-term people will pursue that option. Yes. However, I think it's a calling card to us coaches to go beyond just coaching um, in our comfort zone. Now, again, it, 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 most people look at that and just anytime there's a new world order, it's change and it's shock. And like, I might not agree necessarily with the marks they picked, but I embrace at least trying to say, look, this is the Olympics. We need to make this the most compelling product of the best people ever. And if it kills kind of that, um, you know, amateurish dream, it kills it. And I think it's okay to kill it now. We're in a space and time when we have a lot of brands investing a lot of dollars in the sport. They want to see a return. And I'm, I'm putting mega millions in. I want to see a high return. You know, it forces um, support structures and support networks of coaches and athletes to get better, forces people to level up their education and understanding. We can't just coach the metabolism anymore. You have to coach how we move. We have to coach strength and conditioning. We have to look at what the other professional sports are doing where there's a host of people there to make these specimens. And I mean, you know, University of Houston basketball is a good example, Steve, with um, the strength and conditioning coach, Alan Bishop, who he's there and he only coaches strength and conditioning for the men's basketball team. And that's it. I think that model in theory is a, a worthwhile model to pursue and it will force more dollars into the sport because now let's say the Brooks Beast, for example, Danny Mackey's hand is dealt he must now have two to three full-time assistants with him even jerry and you know the oregon project and um you know new jersey new york track club they must level up and have more you know highly professional sports staff remember we're the only sport or you know coaches are one of the few um, professions in america we have no continuing education requirement. There's no, you know, I mean, my wife's always going for continuing ed for PT. Doctors are always doing it. So we kind of are, you know, stepping away, I think, from this uh, model of, hey, anyone can coach and we're just exploring land to like, no, it's now we need to know what we're doing and be, get really good at what we're doing. And I'm embracing that tenor of the standard elevation. I disagree. Okay. Um, why so? <laughs> because I think what you're going to see is because we're not basketball. We're not college basketball. Like, we're not football. We're not any of these sports that actually have some sort of uh, way to re generate revenue. Um, what I think is more likely is that 
companies will say, hey, we have to pour all this money into it. Like, this is a sunk cost. We're not making any, we're not making our ends meet. We're going to abandon this sport. And I think we've seen that in the past, especially during the professionalization of, of sport. You know, you saw in the 90s, a lot of groups disappeared in the 80s and 90s. A lot of groups disappeared because you had to sink money into it and it wasn't worth it and the payoff wasn't there. Um, because the standards got like raised really quickly with, uh, you know, depending on your cynicism, either drugs or uh, the East Africans coming in. So the standards got raised so quick. So companies just kind of abandoned it and said, hey, this isn't there's no shot. This isn't worth it. Like, what's the point? Um, mm. And I think if you look at, you know, if you look at sport or if you look at business, whenever the standards get told from top down and say hey we're gonna we're gonna raise the standards we need to achieve this like in the education system you know yeah. our school district like we need a 90 percent pass rate on this test or our sat scores need to be that like it very rarely works like the standards get raised from the people doing it right the teachers themselves in that like raise raise the standard for the students like the students help raise the standards but the the principal standing up there doesn't do as much as they think they they do right or the the um you know superintendent whatever you want to have it so i don't think we're i i like the concept of like yeah we're at this professional side of sport and like let's have more groups and have more professional settings i think that's great but from where i'm sitting like we don't we're not there in terms of the dollars and revenues to to be able to do that we're not college basketball to be able to do that i mean i can tell you from like a um a college track like we're one of the best teams in the ncaa and we don't have the funds to do much if of of anything at all <laughs> uh, yes i i understand steve and i feel your pain but i think it's an inflection point we're at we're at a sink or swim moment here and i would be remiss if i didn't articulate like the old way of doing business should and is now dead we need to create an infrastructure and whether this is an independent group of people myself whatever rather than depend on um, these federations to create the infrastructure for us we need to now say okay brands need to demonstrate and create value for their sponsorship and the athletes that they are sponsoring because they have to tell a story they have to tell a narrative that communicate the old model no longer is working and it hasn't worked for some time i think this just forces our hand to blow it all up as we all talk about and say hey look we're going to make something new because the nba does not depend on usa <laughs> basketball federation to guide anything it's an entertainment league pure and simple you know we have said okay our entertainment league is um, you know, essentially road racing for better or worse because of the second running boom generation movement. But I, again, I think it's a, to me, I hear trumpets and I say, Hey guys, figure out something better and adapt. And then it can be better for everyone in the long run. But if we just continue to, um, patron the same, uh, structure and infrastructure that we have in the past, I agree with you hundred percent, Steve, it will kill, kill, kill a sport. But now it's a, it's a call to arms of like, revise revamp and let, let's create something new and i think this is our generation's um task if you will let me jump in here if i may um Please. couple things there i mean as far as like qualifying standards i mean in a very black and white binary sport like track and field inevitably those have to change and evolve over time especially 
with something like the Olympics where they are trying to hit a certain number and an easy way to, to get a number down is tighten the standard. Um, we'll make it more exclusive. I mean, that's going to happen to some degree, but I think there needs to be a little bit more consideration in those types of, of situations. If you look at how extreme of a, a drop there was from 2016 to 2020, I mean, I think that that says a lot, but I think that's, you know, that's only part of it. Um, John, I agree with you. I think obviously something needs to to change. The old way of doing things is not successful on a number of levels. But if you think about these big sports and the leagues and the and the athletes, like in basketball and in baseball, um, you know where the where the money is going, it's going to these athletes in, in big numbers because they have a ton of influence. If we think about running, um, as much as I like to think athletes have influence, and they do, they they certainly do. That's why they have contracts, um, not just because they're performing well. They have influence over youth and whatnot. Most of the money in running um, as an industry, not necessarily as a sport, is in the participatory side of things, mm-hmm. um, which is very different from basketball whereas like all right who are they trying to get to buy products in basketball it's high school kids it's youth kids it's recreational players who are following the sport in running most of the people who are running aren't following the sport so that money is going elsewhere and i think the stakeholders need to wake up and realize that um that it's it's very different in that regard and the sport or at least the presentation of it needs to change if it wants to attract more people to have that kind of relationship that that athletes in other sports have with fans. And I agree with you on that last point. That presentation needs to change. What the you know the I love F cutting out the distance that's three, you know over three k. It just demonstrates their lack of commitment to presentation of the product because you can hold people's attention for a long period of time. Like if you showed the whole 5K, the whole 10K, and had a Tony Romo type commentator who could digest the nuance of what was happening step for step, lap for lap, I mean, it sure be captivated. Personally, a good 10K to me is like one of my favorite events to watch on the track. Like I love the Olympic trials 10K. I love even a US um, final 10K or a world final 10K. Like I said, there was a bowl of popcorn and a cup of tea and man, I just watched that thing for 30 minutes and I'm captivated. Now, I'm a track nerd and obviously, you know, in a niche crowd, but if the IAAF or any institution that says we're here as eight change agents in the sport stepped up and said, we're going to streamline this presentation, you would then get the buy-in. But that hasn't happened, right? So, yeah, no one – the athletes need to also provide a compelling product to the onus falls on their shoulders. I mean, I can't remember – the last time you had people consistently making something compelling in the distance events over and over and over again, you go back to like, say the rivalry of Jerry Lindgren and Prefontaine, those guys had the front runner mentality, right? They were like, we're going to do it or die mentality. And that bought fan power that got people, Oh, this guy's going to go try to do it. Otherwise he's going to fall on the track. And it's kind of that raw primalness that say MNA fighting has, where it's like, okay, this person's willing to like fork over a pound of flesh to get it done. Now, sometimes we have so many cute tactics and you're watching a 5k final at the U S championships and they're just jogging around at 80 seconds for the men. And you're kind of like, well, okay, well, did I get my money's worth as a fan? I think it's tough. It's a tough dichotomy to juxtapose the ability to please a crowd 
and keep them compelled with what you're performing, but also then too at what basically the U.S. Championships or Olympic Trials are, is a, a glorified qualification meet. Make sure you secure your ticket to secure your bonuses, secure your um, contract retention, secure your um, minimization of reduction clauses to get to this um, global championship meet that's going to help sustain you for another cycle or two years in the sport. So it's a lot to ask of these athletes to concurrently do. And frankly, it's like we just bluntly, we need more revenue streams for an athlete, right? Like with the major sports models we have in America. And somehow we all have to collectively get together and say, if we want this thing called running and the sport of professional or sport of track and field in general to live, we need to all just play nice and do right by all the stakeholders involved. Otherwise, we're, we will watch in, you know, to, as you guys so eloquently pointed out, is a slow death to absolute amenity. Um, uh, so let me ask you guys this question. Um, when is the last time you have watched a track meet and thought, oh man, that was a great broadcast? Not, not a race, but a great broadcast. Oh, um, the 5,000 meter of 1972 Olympic final. <laughs> right. Maybe. Right. I, it was great. It was meet, awesome. I watched the whole meet, thing. Track meet, it's been a while, but here's, here's a good example. And, and I think track is hard, right? Because, you know, sprinting, field, distance, they might as well be different sports. I mean, exactly. someone who is into sprinting, they may not care about distance racing. They're going to drop off. You know, they're going to they're going to watch the races that they're interested in. I think, yes. you know, it's it's foolish to think that you can convert someone to be a full track and field fan. They exist. I mean, they're there, but that's going to be a minority just because there's a lot going on and people have areas of interest. But as far as a broadcast goes, um, I think back and this was a marketing stunt, but it was a great broadcast and it was Nike's sub two attempt in Italy with Elade Kipchoge. I mean, you had three guys running around a racetrack for two hours and a million people tuned in to watch the thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about that. I no, mean, to their credit, to their credit. Yes, it was a great broadcast. A hundred percent credit that. Team but it was, that, there was a compelling team. narrative. There were great mm -hmm. athletes. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily a competition against each other. They were racing the clock and trying to do this thing, but it was interesting. And I think that is, you know, on a very fundamental level, that is where track and field is suffering right now. It's not super interesting at its core. Right. I, the agree. narrative isn't there. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like, this the story, right? I mean, every it, people watch because of the story, right? It's, it, it, I mean, it's the same with any any sport. And I think the other part of this is that people watch sports because the stars show up, right? In our yes. sport. Mm -hmm. There's no idea or control of when stars show up. And if I'm the IAAF, I, I, I agree completely with you guys. There needs to be a revamp. But a revamp isn't getting rid of a couple of events and, and you know, saying, right. like, this is the Streamline Diamond League. The, right. the, the revamp is saying, okay, we have these stars. We have these athletes who do interesting things we know they're interesting they run really fast whatever they compete really well how do we create a narrative arc around it how do we create a story and how do we get them to show up and and that's the system that needs to be created right no one yeah. you know and since we're talking about the nba a little bit but like the commissioner can can step in and say hey you're resting Le LeBron James too much. Like you can't keep him out of all these games. He needs to yeah. play. <laughs> yes. 
But yes. in our sport, we can be like, yeah, yeah Usain Bolt's going to run uh, these two races, and, and that's it. And, that's and if this I'm... guy's going to be there, then Usain's going to sit out and wait for another meet. You know, it's like, exactly. it's like there's a lot of that that happens. Exactly. And the narrative for any athlete is performance. It's not training. I'm sorry to everyone on Instagram. I don't care what your training is. I care what your performance is. Okay, that is the stake. Don't give me the sizzle of I did this, I did this, I did this for training. I get it. You have to provide something. But if you're only racing three times a year, you're killing your um, not only your career, but also the sport. And you're not contributing to the sport in general. So there should be a minimum standard of races that need to happen, right? And albeit, yes, injury and illness, they get in the way. But if I buy a, a ticket to see the Los Angeles Lakers against the Portland Trailblazers, I damn well expect to see LeBron James playing right now, right? Because I'm not buying, no one's buying Cavs tickets anymore. And this is the same reality that we talked about. It's like perform, 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 but it's a chicken and egg, right? Because where are the opportunities now? And can I get into perform? And you might be screaming like, I want to perform, but they won't even let me in the gates. So what this does is it creates gatekeepers. And then we know that when you have militant or vested interest gatekeepers in any situation, political, athletic, you name it, it ends up being that the gatekeepers shield off all progress. And then that um, entity slowly, slowly dies. So my, you know, my solution, and maybe we'll finish here with, you know, your one minute solution. My solution is it's now time to just start an entertainment track and field league period. And that has no, no, uh, you know, I mean, not like say the track town summer series or Paul Doyle's, you know, uh, American track league. Like, I think these were good first, um, uh, attempts, but I think we need a coherent, sustainable, aligned track and field league of sorts. That's like, this is what counts. And it's not Diamond League. It's not Federation controlled. It's by some private enterprise that is saying we're trying to make money and spread that wealth pure and simple. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting concept. And I guess I'll piggyback on top of that. I mean, I think the I IAAF could do something like that, um, even in, in a kind of Diamond League model, if they took their 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 model from soccer a little bit and had like – uh, almost like their Premier League and their relegation, right? I think mm -hmm. if, if mm -hmm. you make it where, like, hey, you've got to, and they can use their damn ranking systems, like, I don't care, but, like, hey, you've got to, like, earn your way into the right to compete in these meets, and then once you're in these meets, you compete until you get relegated or whatever it is, you know, and then someone else gets a shot. Um, I think there's a way to, to create that kind of compelling uh, narrative arc you know another solution that actually i was talking to gordon mack of floor track and he had an interesting idea i said where do, where are people at like mario said they're in participation events like they're running the new york city marathon and the 5k and all that stuff he's like well why not just go to um, uh, a tennis model of marathon majors and say like hey we've already got 30 40,000 people showing up for the new york city marathon so this is now the New York City Marathon plus either before or after we have the New York City like you know track meet where this is a this is just the major right and you've got people there and you try and convert from participation into fans of the rest of the sport which I thought was interesting as well. Mm -hmm. I like both of those ideas and I'll add to uh, add to them by by saying change the format of 
the typical athletics meet. Um, it's very antiquated. I think that's why people get bored with it. Not that the races themselves are boring, but I think the format that it's presented in can be very boring when that's, that's what you're seeing. Like you waste, you know, a lot of times you can waste all day just, just washing a meat. Um, but think about what people get most excited about, you know, maybe you have some sprint and distance events, maybe part, maybe instead of a 10,000 on the track, you know, you've got a, you've got a 10,000 circuit road race outside, you know, where, you know, where, where there's a team element to it. Uh, or maybe that's cross country becomes part of the athletics program. Uh, and that's the distance mm. side of things. In addition with, you know, the marathon, like, you know, back to the whole presentation thing, you're, you're changing the presentation of it. You know, you're, you're making it more than just this, like, you know, the same old format that it's been. It's like, you got, you got di- even more disciplines in there. Um, but you're still covering the sprint, the dis- mid distance, distance and field. Um, but maybe you're just doing it in a different way. Um, you know, yeah, just an I mean, idea. I mean, tons of people tune in to watch the CrossFit games, which I hate. But <laughs> yes. if if you look at their basics, is yeah, they're doing some crazy stuff. But they're essentially testing different elements of their speed, power, endurance, and stuff through some crazy stuff. But like that's the same stuff that happens on the track. But they've created it in a at least for their audience a compelling enough way that like people tune in. And we have all these different events and that are aimed at getting speed, power, whatever, jumping, all that good stuff. But we present them in the same way, as Mario stated, that they've been done since the 1800s. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, that... Yeah, it's progress. We need to upgrade. It's just, it's time to upgrade. My phone upgrades and updates, like, every, like, you know, couple hours. Like, why isn't track, right? And I think that's where, I, to me... I say that it's a siren call to our generation. You know, I right. respect those who have our forebears and I respect the work they're doing, but now it's time for us, you know, mid thirties to like mid 50 year old folk to like all play nice guys and say, look, we need to make this right and thrive for the next, um, next generation. Otherwise it won't be around. It'll kind of, you know, just slowly uh, trickle away like badminton. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to put it. I'm going to throw out one more idea because this is the idea that I've been thinking about for a long time and it's crazy, oh, bring it, crazy, Steve. but bring I, it. I like it. We should have someone should do a relay where there is no handoff zone. There are no legs like lengths. You just have four guys. You can come in and out as much as you want, but you just got to get the baton around the track for, let's say, two miles, three miles, whatever you want to have it. And that introduces an element of strategy and uncertainty and in combining sprint and endurance athletes because you can hand off in the last 150 to some guy who can kick in if you want. But- hey, Steve, you know what? I am putting together a tour of meets in early July in Southern California, and maybe that is something we can uh, test down there with the community saying, hey, bring your best best. I, you know, maybe write this up, Steve, and we'll throw it in there, and I'll be an exhibition um, test pilot racing opportunity for the Sunset Tour that's in Los Angeles, July 2nd, 5th, and 7th. High performance 800s all the way up to 10Ks. We're going to have good rabbits. I have a former sports marketing rep on the team, uh, another uh, world-class meat director on the team, um, some very uh, intelligent uh, international coaches on this team. And if you want... This is a meet for the people, by the people. Hit me up on Twitter. DM me. Blow me up. If you have a suggestion on what to do at this this series of meets, I'm all ears because I'm not trying to go this alone. I created it out of necessity 
for athletes because I'm a fan, I'm a coach, I'm a former athlete. And I think it'd be fun to have some hot, fast times in California in early July. Sunset Series, check it out online. Uh, it will be up with more information here at the Sunset Track Tour. Dot com that's sunsettracktour.com but come out if you're in the socal area and if you have an idea or even if you want to get involved say hey jmar dude i want to help out blow me up on twitter on my direct message i will respond i guarantee it okay look at that <laughs> we'll try and create some crazy stuff okay here we go uh, and on that note i guess uh, any final thoughts mario Final thoughts. No, I think I've I've shared them all for this uh, this little session. I think we need a few more hours, but I know you have to go. All right. So in conclusion, um, we got a lot wrong with our sport, but don't give up, people. We need to try some different stuff. And I think my main takeaway is we have to find the Tony Romo of track and field and get him on the broadcast over, um, you know, apologies <laughs> to whoever, whoever does it now, but. We need you, Tony Romo. Amen to that. Just trying to give the people what they want. And what the people do want is they want Stephen Newton's book, The Passion Paradox, March 19th. High Performance West relaunch, The Return, March 20th. And then, of course, as always, you better check out Mario's The Morning Shakeout newsletter and get on his pod- podcast. I remember he's like, oh, I don't know about podcasting. And now you're like at like 50 or 60 deep. Man, the guy is a podcast machine. He makes them. And then I swear to God, every like, yeah. But Mario, like every time, I'm like, oh, Mario's like, you like, like you like this podcast, you like this podcast. This guy listens and makes podcasts. Like I read books. It's phenomenal. All right. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, Mario. Um, again, we'll have thanks all for the, having me. We'll have all these links, uh, including to Mario's newsletter and podcast, in the show notes. So check it out. Thanks a lot, everybody.